0: Welcome to the King's Church Amisham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church.
1: It's great to see so many different faces here this morning. If you're a visitor again, um, maybe I extend a really warm welcome to you. Um, my name is Paul and I'm part of the leading leadership team here at King's and I'm going to bring some of God's word to you. We've been journeying through the Book of James together as a church, and this morning we 're going to be looking at some closing verses contained in chapter five. so if you have your Bible to hand, perhaps you 'd like to pull those out and we 're going to be looking at this idea of prayer this morning together now as you've, if you 've been following the series we 've been looking at all sorts of things that how we we need to apply to our lives that we need to take hold of, we need to grasp onto, if we're going to live this life, this life of Christian living, if, you know, if that's what we're going to be doing. And so we've been pressing into this, all the ideas and concepts, and at the end of it, James surmises, if you like, all of these things with this passage on prayer. And so we're going to be looking at this this morning together and a few other things as well. Let's read James 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they are sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective we're going to pause right there for a moment so our final lesson in the book of james one final practice this idea of prayer Now, I know for some, this might not sound like the most exciting or engaging or provocative topic. For some, the word of prayer can raise up several conflicting emotions, I think. For some people, the prayer is work-loaded with a sense of obligation, perhaps even guilt. You hear the word prayer, and you have a sense of, I I should do more than that. There's this kind of obligation that goes with it. Maybe for you, a prayer is a word that raises a bit of confusion, You've heard people pray and they sound smart, they sound religious, they quote scripture as they pray and you're not sure that you know all that stuff and you're not sure what words to say or how to get the words right and sometimes other people pray so much better I would suggest than perhaps we feel like we do. Maybe you feel like your life is so full and busy that actually it's hard to pray. I understand the average person has 35,000 conscious decisions every day to make. How in the midst of all that do you have time to add another or another task? Perhaps another, another job to the list to pray. Maybe when you tried praying, it didn't work because your mind wandered. I can see some of your minds wandering right now maybe some of you feel too skeptical too cynical about prayer maybe you did pray you prayed for something for a long time for a family member or an illness or something you needed or you wanted and God didn't answer or at least he didn't answer in the way that you'd hoped for and so prayer seems disappointing maybe even painful well here's an interesting fact the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, the first followers, had this focus. This focus on the idea of prayer. There's this little moment in the Gospel of Luke where it says that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus would often do this. He would be in a busy crowd and he'd be around people and people would be coming in with questions and wanted, they wanted to talk. But he would retreat and go and leave and get out of the room. And it would seem almost rude in some instances, but he would go off to pray. And when he finished one of these one day, the disciples said, him, said to him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Notice they didn't say, Jesus, can you stop sneaking away? They didn't say, Jesus, we're on a really tight schedule here. They didn't say, Jesus, our profile's on the rise. We don't need to waste time in that stuff. Your popularity is really, really rising right now. We need you up front and visual as much as possible. No, they didn't say that. Teach us how to pray. And actually in all four Gospels, the only thing that disciples explicitly, explicitly asked Jesus to teach them to do is this. Teach us how to pray. They witnessed Jesus calm the storm. They watched Jesus turn water into wine. They watched Jesus raise people from dead back to life. And yet there's no record of asking Jesus, teach us to calm storms. Teach us to turn water into wine. Teach us. Why? Because they saw that the power, the presence, the wisdom, the life of Jesus was rooted in this practice, this conversation with God, prayer. And of course James, the writer of this book that we've been looking through, that we've been studying, wasn't just any disciple. We understand that he was the brother of Jesus. He grew up watching Jesus. He'd seen Jesus pray. He'd watched him, how he would pray, why he would pray, when he would pray. And I think in this text he captures some lessons and writes them down. I think he gives us five lessons in this text and i just want to walk through with them briefly with you this morning so number 1 the first thing that james i think tries to teach us about prayer remember how james begins are you in trouble you should pray about that are you happy we'll start there pray about that if you're sick Start there, pray about that. Ask for people to pray for you in that. In other words, prayer is an authentic interaction with God about what is going on in your life right here, right now. So often when people pray, I find, and this isn't a judgment on anybody, but they kind of we begin to retreat into an unauthentic place you know? A change of tone, demeanor, posture. Have you ever noticed this? People say, God, I know you're omnipotent. I know you're omniscient. I know you're omnivorous. No, they don't say that, do they? Or do they? Whatever omni-words you can add to your prayer to make it sound like, you know? Make it sound like it's Or make it sound like it might work, even. James says, when you when you begin to pray, be authentic. James says, prayer starts where you actually are. Are you in trouble? Talk to God. Speak to him. You might say, Well, I don't know how to pray like that. Well, let me ask you this: do you know how to yell? Do you know how to get angry? Do you know how to express yourself? Do you know how to be honest? Because if you do, you know how to pray. In fact, get this, this is this is always, I find this extraordinary, you know, even when you're not using words, scripture says. Your soul, your flesh is still crying out. It is still yearning, groaning. It's praying. The Spirit himself, Paul writes, intercedes for us through wordless groans. Prayer is groaning, prayer is longing, prayer is craving, prayer is aching. You don't have to try to pray, it would seem. You simply let what's in the depths of your soul begin to come to the surface. See, Jesus would retreat to these quiet places. It wasn't because he was an introvert. It wasn't because he didn't want to be around people. But he wanted to get into the stillness, into the quiet, so it therefore was re- resonating, I guess, in his own soul whenever leads or longings that were present, well, they could be heard, that he could feel that he could listen to the depths of himself or his soul, what his soul was already, I think, crying out for. You know, friends, we have deep stuff, don't we, going on in here, most of us. Deep stuff, like disappointment, like anger, fear, gratitude, joy, hope, longing, exportation, expectation. Prayer begins when we realize that's where God wants to start. With us, in relationship. Are you in trouble? Are you happy? Wherever you stand today, the invitation is, start there, begin there, speak to God about it. Second thing. James is keen to point out our prayers are received they're not just uttered they're not just something you say it's not just for your own benefit there is a God and he is listening now I know when you've prayed and maybe your heart was breaking you were longing for something and I know for some of us we've wondered God where are you are you even listening James gives us a really concrete answer here. He says, a prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. And we'll come back to that moment. He says, the Lord will raise them up. In other words, God is listening. God is paying attention. You may not believe that he is, but God is paying attention. We see this all the way through scriptures. In fact, the most common practice God takes in the Bible actually is listening. We see the impact of that when Moses calls It's called to free the Israelites out of Egypt. The text says the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out. He's listening. I am concerned, the text says. The prophet Elijah is staying with this widow. whose son has just died. Elijah begins to pray. He's stretched out himself on the boy and you know the story. Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Prayer was received, God was listening. The boy's life returned to him and he lived. We pray because we trust that God is listening. That's what James is saying. We're not doing this for ourselves, it's not just that we can hear ourselves talk. We pray because we trust God is alive. He's right here at present and he's listening. Our prayers are not just sent, they're received. Like you take your text and sometimes you check, don't you? Has that person received it? You can see in the little small print, have they read it? Every prayer has not just been delivered. It's been received. Even if you're still waiting, even if the answer is not yet, even if the answer is yet to come, The psalmist expressed it in this way. He wrote this. He says, List my tears on your scrolls. Are they not in your records? God, are you not already keeping track? Turn back to page 24, if you like, of my long list of prayers. You've got it recorded. We've talked about this before. You know what I've said. You've been listening. You have my prayers on record. James says, You know, your prayers are recorded, they're heard. They are. They're received. Next thing I think James brings to us is this observation, and this is a reality, and some of us are living in the good of this. Prayers can actually change the very fabric of reality. James's prayers always make a difference in some ways. In this amazing verse, he writes the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James is saying prayers matter. Prayers work. Prayer is just not a spiritual exercise. Prayer is making a difference. It can change reality. It's not a minor form of power influence. It's not like we pray, but then we can get on really with working it out. You know those kind of prayers? Prayer is an act, it would seem, according to James, of real power. There's a power that comes through prayer that is unique, it would seem. Now this doesn't mean that God always answers in just the way we want it. Sometimes God answers in quite different ways beyond what we can understand and fathom in this life. Sometimes God's answers are on a different timeline to ourselves. You know, it's no coincidence that James writes these verses in a closing passage, but the passage directly before it is persevering through trouble, strife, and great difficulty. It's almost like there's this tension there that James is talking into. Sometimes God's answers is wait or not this way and sometimes god simply answers now to be clear about this there's a lot of misunderstanding there's a lot of abuse in the church around this idea of healing and, and how this works just to say this really in the bible physical healing is is never an end in itself It's always a preview, a snapshot, a foretaste of what life with Jesus is all and will be all about. You know the story of Lazarus. Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the tomb. And it was like this ultimate act of healing, I guess you could say. And Jesus walked out of the tomb and his body was renewed. And his life continued. And he had quite a story to tell. But what happened later on? It happens to all of us. One day Lazarus got sick. One day the doctors couldn't heal him. And then he died. He's the only person who went into death thinking, Oh no, not again. <laughs> not many people can claim that, right? The miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead wasn't the main event. It was just a sign of the miracle that's to come. That one day Jesus will say, Lazarus, come out. But not just for a few more years, for a time in eternity. Healing isn't the main event. Redemption is the main event. Salvation is the main event. Forgiveness is the main event. That's why God sometimes answers our prayers a little differently than we understand. Because he sees a bigger picture, a redemptive picture. A story that goes on and on and on. Our job actually isn't to try and see it. As God sees it. That's what James getting actually subtly here. God's doing his work. Our job is to ask in prayer. We get to ask. You know, there's no formula that will make God heal, but one truth stands. Often we do not have because we do not ask. That's why we pray. It's because we have a God who can answer, does answer, is able, who hears. And your prayers literally can change reality. James then takes a little left turn. You're thinking, okay, I have my list together, I have my request together, I'm ready to start praying. Now what's this? James says prayer also involves bringing to the table yourself the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You do not become a righteous person by trying harder. You become a righteous person by confession, by bringing your brokenness to God and asking for his grace and his mercy. Sometimes the reality God wants is to change you sometimes the reality is God wants to change me sometimes the most difficult reality is actually for God to change us James expresses it quite clearly he says therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed There's a connection there between confession and healing. A direct relationship, they often go together. In fact, it's quite interesting. One of the reasons often prayer doesn't feel like it's working for us is because we're not starting with the real thing that's wrong with us. We have all kinds of lists and things that we want to be prayed for. And often we skip over the phrases like, God, I'm holding resentment against that person. I need to talk to you about it. Or, God, I'm living in a pattern of just repeated dishonesty in my life. I need you to talk to you about that. Prayer involves being honest, folks, about what's really going on. Amazingly, it doesn't bring out God's wrath or his anger, it's just the opposite, in fact. David writes in the Psalms, not he? a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. He loves it because he's finally hearing from you, the real you. James takes actually a further step. He says, confess your sins to one another, to another person. You might be thinking, gosh, that would be embarrassing and people would think less of me. Well, maybe they will. Always with somebody you trust, I'd suggest. But often, to beat an addiction, to beat resentment, to beat lustful habits, well, you need someone else to walk that journey with you. We have a great small group, a member of it. Sometimes we're thinking we all share stuff together and it takes a really brave person in the group to share something that's not quite so superficial. You know that feeling? Thanks, on. But occasionally, we get there. In fact, increasingly, we get there. And you know what we've seen? We've seen answer to prayer. We've seen transformation. We've seen freedom. We've seen provision, jobs. We've seen God speak. We need to be brave folks sometimes. Prayer starts where you are. You pray trusting that someone is receiving, someone is listening. Your prayers can change reality. Reality. Your prayer always involves being honest with ourselves, confession, bringing that to the table. Those are, those are the tools, if you like. That's the equipment. That's how you pray. But there's, there's one final lesson in here, I think, that James is bringing to us before we move on. and It's this. Sometimes prayers need to be prayed for you. Sometimes the reality is that prayer is not something we can do for ourselves. Sometimes the pain is too great, the grief is too close, or the guilt feels just too heavy. Or we don't have the words. We just don't have the stamina. We don't have the belief. Sometimes we just want to give up. Sometimes in those moments, you don't need to pray. You need someone to pray for you, with you. Which is why James says, when you confess your sins, pray for one another. When, you call, when you're sick, call the elders. Have them pray for you. By the way, elders in the church, that's not the old people, <laughs> although I am 50. It's just people who actually, the leaders in the church, they are people who have faith, and when your faith has run out, when you don't have the words anymore, it would seem, well, they can stand with you. They can pray. It's not just elders, it's others. Many of you have had prayer partners for many years. Many of you have had people who have come alongside in critical moments and stood there and prayed and stood in the gap with you. James is saying, This, this is so, so important. Here's the thing. You are not powerless. We are not powerless. You can pray. You can stand in the gap, knowing that when you do, God will respond. It is heard. God will will answer in some way. We have, as Christians, this one little phrase, which is so powerful, so loaded. I think sometimes, actually, subconsciously, that's why we're not so sure we want to say it. And it's this. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? When we say those words, it sets a whole lot of things running in our minds. I think, what's going to happen? It's uniquely loaded with all sorts of possibilities. Maybe you know somebody who's going through a difficult challenge. You don't have the answer to. You don't know how to solve the problem. What can you do? Can you trust God enough to pray? Do we underestimate our prayer lives or do we underestimate what God can do? This week, perhaps this is the takeaway this morning. When someone shares with you a situation that's difficult, you maybe don't have the answer. Maybe maybe there's an opportunity there for you. Maybe you've never been able to share your faith before. Maybe that's something really difficult. Maybe those words are the words you need. I'll pray about that. Can I pray for you? It's amazing in my experience how reluctant people are to talk about the things I believe but how willing they are for me to pray with them. And often as I've stepped out in faith God's responded suddenly the conversation opens up. James is convinced there is a God who can answer. I'm convinced there is a God who can answer. So this morning we're going to spend some time in prayer. But before we do that, I'd like to invite Annie. Where is she? Annie, come up. Annie, would you grab a microphone just as you can? Just put it off there, that's it. This is, this is Annie, and uh, oh,
0: is it working
1: yeah she's uh, she's just going to share a testimony with you briefly
0: Hi church it's really a privilege to be here. Um, I was diagnosed with um, ovarian cancer in November 2020, and it was stage four and it came out of the blue. I wasn't expecting it, and I led a very busy life working in London in counseling in schools. And it was a huge shock to me. And um, church has really supported me in that. Um, Libby, bless her, asked, Annie, do you want a WhatsApp group for some prayer? And I kind of thought, well, that would be great. I th- expected maybe three or four people. I actually had 24 people supporting me. And that was huge for me because, as we've heard today, when you're struggling with something and you're overwhelmed, it's really hard to actually even form the prayer and think, well, how can I, how can I sort of get through this? Uh, so having people holding me up in that way was amazing, and I saw immediate answers to prayer. Sometimes I was having my treatment; I had chemo within a week, which was amazing answer to prayer as well. Um, and my veins are really bad, and it, it was quite hard to get a line in for the treatment. And on the you know third, fourth attempt, I might put. A message on my WhatsApp group, please can someone pray for me now? And I'd say to the nurses, okay, people are praying for me, and immediately the line was put in, and that happened over and over and over again. Um, so that's been a huge blessing and a, and a lot of support with meals and people I didn't even know, you know, praying for me. And even now, people I don't know saying, yeah, I still pray for you. Um, so I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, everyone. Um, I had sort of a time where I would wake up every day, probably for a few months, saying, "Lord, just can you tell me how long I've got? <laughs> I really need to know." And obviously, I've got I've got uh, children; they're kind of grown up now, but 24 and 21. And I just wanted to know how long do I have? What do I do? What's on my bucket list? But actually, God really gave me this verse, which was Psalm 139, verse 16 all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And I knew the verse really well, but it felt like it was very visceral, as if I could wear it. It was like a cloak. It took me a number of months to sort of, uh, for God to replace my fear with his peace. But he has done that. And I sort of had to submit my agenda and think actually, it's not about what I can do. It's just being in his presence and knowing that Actually, he's right beside me every day and living in the moment. This was all going on through the pandemic. So I was really aware that people were struggling with anxiety and not knowing, you know, who's going to be next to get COVID. And, you know, so it was just sort of submitting that actually none of us know what the future is and just living in the day and being thankful in the day. Um, The other thing was when I had surgery, I had major surgery, um, Again, I didn't know whether that was going to happen, whether I was going to be well enough, whether there was a bed. Lots of people's treatment were cancelled. Praise God, I did get treatment very quickly. I had major surgery and an amazing uh, consultant who was the best in Europe. And just before I went into surgery, I was pacing the room thinking, I know I need this, but I don't feel like I want it. Feeling really anxious. I knew people were praying for me my surgeons came in and saw me they were all masked up but I recognized one and he happened to be a friend of son of a friend of mine who I hadn't seen he was about 16 when I last saw him and now he was 27 he was actually one of my surgeons so it was like God going with me into the room and so so kind to do that so since then I've had four clear scans and I'm on maintenance cancer treatment. I'm back at work, and I'm just so grateful. You know, God has answered prayers in a really powerful way. Um, but it's more about—I've learned a lot about just being in every day with Jesus and just th- being thankful, uh, because the future is His. You know, and all of us have lots of difficult stuff to go through. So just to remember that He He knows and He's with us in it. And he sees the big picture. And I've learned about how, how we can trust him in that, in each moment. Thank you,
1: everyone. I just thought it would be a good opportunity for us to, to pray for Annie again together. So, Father, we thank you for this woman. We thank you for your hand upon her life. Father, we thank you that you've met her every stage of this journey, Lord, in the trouble the happiness father we trust you that you know the future as annie said so father we ask
0: thank you for listening for further podcasts or information go to www.kca.church